The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, family? Welcome to Brother from Another. You know what I always say? We're always grateful for your support. No matter how and when you're consuming the product, whether you're watching on Peacock TV, YouTube, podcast, on Sirius XM Channel 85, which is what? If you're a faithful watcher or listener of the program, you know I'm going to say what? What am I going to say next? Sirius XM Channel 85, which is what? Yes, 35 spots down from the groove. Shout out the groove. Don't listen until 4 p.m. Eastern. Right now, you're going to hang with us. And I just, but before I get to our guest, and we got some good guests today, as usual. It's brother from another. That's what we do. Before I get to the guest, I just want to point out, I always used to tell people, you know, why I'm, why I'm interested in journalism and why I've always loved journalism. I've loved the business. Uh, since I was a little kid, I, really, as, as long as I can remember, I knew I wanted to be involved in journalism, and I have much respect for storytellers, fiction, novelists, screenwriters who will take something that may be based on a true story and create their own reality. It is very difficult to do that. Uh, I can't do that, but I respect those who can. But I say all that to say this. Real life is often so much better. Real life, you don't even have to make it up. These journalists who get in trouble uh, historically for making stuff up, one, you shouldn't do that. Two, it's a waste of time. Just wait for real life to happen and you'll have an amazing story. Can I prove it to you? Can I prove it to you? This week alone, this week alone, you know what the, the, the least interesting story of the week in sports? What, like two Stories in sports, least interesting. Uh, there was a no-hitter in the World Series. There's no hitter in the World Series. A, a third time ever. Second time ever. No hitter in the World Series. Nobody's talking about that. <laughs> okay? So there's a no-hitter in the World Series. People are like, eh, it was four pitchers, you know, combined, no hitter, no big deal. And then last night. There's one of the great pitchers in the history of baseball, Justin Verlander, who's going straight to the Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible. First ballot Hall of Famer. Over two, nearly 250 regular season wins. A great postseason pitcher has dominated in the ALCS and the ALDS. Justin Verlander won his first World Series game after like a bunch of tries. Like now he's one in six in the World Series. That's the least entry, and that's real life. That's the least interesting part of the story. You know what else happened this week? Steve Nash got fired. Eh, ah, Steve Nash got fired. That was inevitable. 
And the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, tried to replace him or are trying to replace him with Ime Udoka, who essentially got fired from the Celtics. <laughs> okay. And that's not even the most interesting part of the week in Brooklyn. Oh my God. You don't have to make this stuff up. And then the Brooklyn Nets try their damnedest to give Kyrie Irving a pass and a second pass and a third pass and a fourth pass. All they really want him to say is the same thing you want a child to say when they spill the milk or they break something in the house. And just say, just say you're sorry. Just say I'm sorry and, and we'll move on. That, so that's what the Brooklyn Nets are trying to say to Kyrie Irving. Hey, hey Kyrie, say you're sorry. Um, say you're not anti-Semitic and, and we'll move on. Okay, they, they work with, this is real life. They work with him for a week. They say, Kyrie, uh, just say you're sorry. Say you're not an anti-Semite and we can move on. And he couldn't even do it. And so now the Brooklyn Nets have suspended him for five games. And that's still not the rest of the story because Kevin Durant weighed in and said he's mad at everybody. <laughs> okay, I, I'm telling you, you don't have to make it up. I love you. I love you poets. I love you screenwriters. I love you novelists. I appreciate you. I appreciate your imagination. It's so wonderful. It's a blessing to us, your, your viewers and your readers who get to just, who just go on these journeys and get lost in literature based on your imagination. It's a wonderful thing. But real life is often better. Anyway, uh, we got so much to get to today. We're going to talk with David Gardner later, later in the show. Right now, I'm going to talk to one of my brothers. Uh, he, I've known him for a long time. He is probably one of the most intelligent people uh, in the media. Why? He's a Buckeye. Because he's a Buckeye. Okay, he's a Buckeye. He's a Buckeye. There we go. Hey, no, I, listen. It's, no, you don't, even have to, you don't even have to prove your intelligence, uh, uh, Albert Breer. All you have to say is, you know, a couple of nice things about Ohio State, and then you live up. Good. You live up to the good. intro. That's it. They, they looked That's pretty it, impressive you know? when they put their foot on the on the accelerator on Saturday, didn't they? Yeah, you that know, was eight, that, that was that. They looked like crap for three quarters, but that was like eight magical moments of eight magical minutes of football there. And I tell you, we're going to talk going. about. You know, Bert, we're going to talk about this another time. But I'm, I just want to point this out right now. We all know that school up north, <laughs> maize and blue. We know the historical rivalry that exists there. But there's always somebody in the neighborhood who just talks a little bit too much trash. <laughs> a little too much trash for what they've accomplished. And that's yeah. Penn, like quietly, Penn State's annoying. Like, oh, I, yeah. you, know, you know, they're, they're annoying. So you never, yeah. they'll never rise to the level of Michigan. Uh, you know, Michigan uh, category by itself. But Penn State, I want I want more beatdowns of Penn State because they just y'all a little too mouthy, not showing enough humility. I want you know, I want you to kiss the rings, the multiple rings. Okay, you're not you're not the Penn State of yesteryear. Nice program, nice program. Yeah, we let y'all into the big we let y'all into the Big Ten. We you know couple uh, you know a couple decades ago we let y'all in. Have some respect. Kind of interesting Ohio how State. Marvin Harrison Jr. had to leave Pennsylvania for college, isn't it? Of course. 
Of course he did. Anyway, you know, we, we're so obnoxious, and I love it. I love it. This is what we do every other Friday or so. We just kind of do that Ohio State thing. And, uh, yes, we are uh, number two, uh, according to the uh, playoff rankings, but we know what's going to happen at the end of the season. Uh, Buckeyes going to win the national championship. All right, look, let's get to this. Uh, Bert, I want to talk to you about the commanders. We've been bringing this up all week. Yeah. I was really surprised that <clears throat> Daniel and Tanya Snyder – Start, started this exploration process, and that's the yep. way it was worded. I thought that was interesting wording. They bring in Bank of America, securities, okay, in the process of finding a buyer. I see that story, and now I hear that Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z mm-hmm. may be collaborators buying the commanders. A, what do you think about the commanders going up for sale, potentially? And Jay-Z and Jeff Bezos. Yeah, well, all right. We'll start with the commander situation. I do think that there has been a change here. Um, you know, one of the major pieces of this, like, and this, you know, I, I think this goes back to something that Seth and Don Van Natta reported a couple weeks ago. I, I do think, you know, Dan Snyder losing Jerry Jones' support was significant and, and a big step to getting where we are now. Um, and I can take you inside the room a couple weeks ago at that owner's meeting, and um, it was after Jim Irsay made his comments, which was earlier in the afternoon that day. And, you know, Roger basically addressed the, you know, the 31 owners and, and the Packers president, Mark Murphy, in that special privilege session, which is just the owners and their kin, and said, please trust the process, wait for the process to play out. I promise the process will take us where we need to go. And for the other 31 owners, that was basically taken as, trust me, we're going to get to the conclusion you want to get to. And I think the way it was intended for Dan Snyder was, this train is coming down the tracks, and you're not going to be able to do anything to stop it. And mm. I think over the last couple of weeks, as that sort of sunk in, um, and as some owners have talked amongst themselves, and there was a lot of talking amongst themselves at that meeting in New York, I think it's become more and more clear that whether, but by whatever method it happens, Dan Snyder is going to be out. And um, I think it's really important when you read the statement to notice how it differs from the two statements that he put out in October, both after the ESPN report and then after Ursay's comments, which were really defiant statements that basically implied he was never going to sell the team. And this left wide open the possibility that he's going to sell the whole thing. I think that's what's going to wind up happening. There's going to be no shortage of bidders. Um, You know, the interesting thing, Michael, like the comparison I heard from multiple people over the last couple of weeks is that NFL, that the prospective buyers view this almost like, um, you know, like billionaire Americans, the Saudis viewed um, the Premier League teams 20 years ago as like a sort of distressed asset that can be built up into a much more than it is right now. And Mm. so there are a lot of people looking to get in on this and what it could be if you could build a new stadium, you know, maybe on the RFK site in DC, what a DC Super Bowl could mean, Um, you know, being able to build that brand back up into what it was before. And Jeff Bezos, I expect him to be in it. You know, the the connection to Jay-Z makes sense. But here's the interesting twist. I was told that Daniel Snyder, unless the gap between his between one bid and the next is just massive, does not want to sell to Jeff Bezos because he hates the Washington Post. So even here at the end, 
like those old <laughs> grudges that Daniel Snyder uh, has could affect who winds up coming in. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I've heard pretty consistently over the last couple of weeks. Like, yes, other NFL owners would love to see Bezos in the mix and would love to see, would love to have him as part of their club. They think it's less complicated with Amazon because he stepped down as CEO. Whereas when he was still running the company day to day, maybe that would have been a little bit more complicated because he's a broadcast partner. Now that he's stepped down, that's less of an issue. And they've really earmarked him. Like, is he going to be in the Washington bidding or eventually the Seattle bit bidding? Um, you know, but like what you hear back from a lot of people in the league now who would know is that he, Dan Snyder probably wouldn't want to sell to Jeff Bezos because of his hatred for the, for the Washington post. So let me get this straight. Um, it takes 24 out of 32, Bert. I'm not surprised about the Washington Post. Dan, Daniel Snyder hates the media in general. Yeah. But especially the Washington Post, which has done some uh, fantastic reporting yep. on on his team and, and that workplace culture, that hostile, dysfunctional workplace culture. Mm-hmm. But there, you, your understanding is that 24 out of 32, that's a lot, will say, okay, we want yeah. Snyder out. I think that the two camps, and I think one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why Jim Mercer spoke out the way he did that day and has continued to speak out since, I think he's speaking up for a group of older school owners that take the image of the league very seriously and take um, how this reflects upon each of them very seriously. And I think that that's the group that's really been sort of driving to get Snyder out. I think more and more people that are outside of that group have joined that group over the last couple of years as things have gotten worse and worse, right? The other side of it is I think you've got some of the newer school owners that are more worried about precedent. Like, what does this mean if stuff gets out on me? Like, because now now the precedent's out there for us voting people out. And they're worried about, like, stuff that Dan Snyder could have on them, like the skeletons they have in their own closet, whether or not this thing got really ugly, Dan Snyder would drag some of that stuff out. And so I think like in general, the families that are involved, the Roonies, the Maras are obviously the two, but then there are other families, the McCaskies in Chicago, the Browns in Cincinnati, Ursay's, you know, now multi-generational in Indianapolis like are more worried about kind of what this means for the league globally, where maybe some of the newer owners have been looking at this more myopically. And I I think over time, it's just gotten to the point where I don't know if they'd have the 24 votes now, but man, I think they'd be getting close if they don't, (laughs) you know, like it just, Mm. it feels like, I mean, I had an owner tell me the other day, you know, I said, so, so, and so, so Jerry wants him out. And the, the response was, we all want him out. And that's probably overstating <laughs> it a little bit, but like wow. I think it's getting closer to that. All right. Uh, let, let's talk some football here. There have been so many surprising storylines this year. Philadelphia 8-0 is one surprise, but another surprise, and we'll see if they can kind of continue this stretch this weekend. The Seattle Seahawks in first yep. place in the NFC West, uh, led by their quarterback, Geno Smith. I want you to listen to a quote from Geno and then we'll okay. come back and talk about something else with the Seahawks. Here's Geno Smith. I'm grateful to have worked myself into this position. Um, also, knowing who I am, um, I'm very set in who I am. I know exactly who I am and what I can do. And so I've never uh, bought into the narratives that have been out there. I didn't just get this good over you know, the course of one offseason. So um, you know, I think that's mostly a narrative, and a lot of this stuff is media-driven. 
Now, I don't know about the media driven part, uh, Gino, but you know, Gino Smith, Gino Smith is having uh, a terrific season. Fantastic. But I think we have, but, but you know what, Bert, I think the problem, and I've fallen for this, and I've heard a lot of people really focus on Gino. Great story. Career backup, now mm-hmm. playing like a true QB1. But I look at Seattle. We go from talking about Dan Snyder to John Schneider. And man, what a draft class. Bert, oh, man. What a yeah. draft class. And they crushed what, it. That's why those, they're in first place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, like Gino's a great story. It was interesting talking to Pete about this like a, a couple weeks ago, too. And like he brought up stories in the past, like, and th- these are big names, like Rich Gannon, Steve Young, is guys who kind of had this lull in the middle of their careers and then bounced back later on. And so he has like, I mean, decades of experience to draw back on and say, yeah, it hasn't happened recently like this, but there is evidence that this can happen. So I think that like being in that environment has been great for Gino and obviously he's played great, but you're right. Like it, it, it sort of takes you back to how those great teams were built in the first place. And those Seahawks teams were built on the 10 draft with Earl Thomas and Russell Okung and Golden Tate. The 11 draft, I believe that's when they got Chancellor. It's when they got Sherman. Um, the 12 draft, they got Wagner and Russell. Um, that was the foundation. And they've slumped a bunch since then in the draft. To get six guys that are all starting, you know, in one draft class, that's not just crazy. starting, but winning, it's both Thriving, starting tackles. Yeah. Both starting tackles, right? Cross and Lucas. It's two starting corners of the three that are out there mostly. <laughs> Give me a break. Kobe Come Bryant on. And Tariq Wollin. It's a starting edge rusher in um, in Boy Mafe. And it's their like workhorse tailback now in Kenneth Walker. Six guys, Michael, and six guys that are playing important roles for them. Um, this is like, I mean, honestly, it's it's not easy to pull that off. But that's how you turn it around. You know what I mean? Like, and now, like, you think about this for them, they've got those guys cheap for the next three years. You know what I mean? Like, I, like now, like you're really operating from a position of strength. And oh, by the way, they have Denver's first and second round pick next year. Those could be high picks. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and Bert, I know it's the easy answer when you look at the. I mentioned the eight no Eagles. So, so the easy answer is. Hey, Howie Roseman is the executive of the year, mm-hmm. and he's got a strong case. Team hasn't lost. He, he's the one who drafted Jalen Hurts. He just he just traded for Robert Quinn. Uh, he's the one who who brought in AJ Brown. I mean, he's made some really good moves. I mean, the left tackle they plucked it, out of Australia, Jordan Maitai. Yeah, Maitai. I mean, I mean like come they on. Did, yeah, but but if you look at if you look at Seattle, between the Russell trade, what they got back in that trade. Yep. How they use the assets, how they stuck by Geno Smith, and if they finish, I, you know, and I know it's early. Hey, hell, they may lose to the Cardinals uh, on Sunday. I don't think so. My bet your money coming up. Uh, I don't think they'll lose to the Cardinals. But let's say they they finish twelve and five, or eleven and six, and they win a division at eleven and six. It's not undefeated. It's not Eagles terrific. But I'm sorry, you got to give John Schneider. A look there if they win this division, I don't mean, you? Yeah, and we came out like, I mean, you know, you look at where they were coming into this year. I, Michael, I'll, I'll, I'll fully admit, like, I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in football. <laughs> I really did. Like, I, yeah. I, yeah, me too. I looked at yeah. them and I thought, like, this is going to be, 
this is going to be a team that's going to be in play for, you know, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, right? Like, that's what I thought. Like, and that, oh, well, that's how they're going to replace Russell Wilson. And, you know, to do this and have faith in Geno Smith. I mean, remember with Geno, yeah, they traded for Drew Locke, but Geno was like wire to wire, like first team quarterback, like through the spring and summer, like they did see something and continue to bring him back and then give him all those reps. Like they saw something over the last couple of years there and then to draft the way that they drafted and like, you know, I, to, to, to rework some of the coaching staff, the way they did with Clint hurt as their defensive coordinator now, and Shane Waldron now in his second year as offensive coordinator. Um, Again, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a, a management team with, with Schneider and Carroll that had gone through a little bit of a slump and now you see them bounce back. And the great thing about it to me too, is like, it's a general manager acknowledging like, here's what my coach needs, like a workhorse tailback, like Kenneth Walker, the big long corners that they had back in the day, right? Tariq Willen, six foot three. Um, you know, they need edge rushers. Boye Mafe, they get him. They needed tackles. Offensive line had been an issue forever. Boom, they get two tackles who both, by the way, are coming from like a Mike Leach system. So they had to like project both of those guys. It's I, they did a fantastic job this off season and then to leverage the asset with Russell Wilson, like to know when was when, 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 like when's the time to kind of cut bait. When's the time to walk away from a franchise quarterback? Cause it looks like they nailed that one too. And that's not a small thing, yeah. you know, like you give Howie credit, Howie knew when it was time to walk away from Carson Wentz and got that one right. And, and got something valuable in return. I think you can probably say the same thing now for John Schneider, knowing when it was time to move on from Russell Wilson. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, those two are probably right at the top of the list, you know, along with the usual suspects, like, you know, your Brandon Bean for what he's built in Buffalo and, and Brett Beach, you know, in Kansas city for, I mean, being able to replace Tyreek Hill the way he did and make the yeah. defense so much younger. There are some good candidates, but I think John Schneider would be right there at the top of the list. I got a couple more before uh, I let you go and people you can relax because we already talked about our Buckeye stuff in the beginning. So we <laughs> won't do it <laughs> at the end. I don't think we'll do it at the end. I don't think so, but uh, I'm not I, I want to ask you, you but... about the, I, I want to talk to you about, uh, talk to you about uh, Los Angeles that somehow the LA Rams relocated to South Florida. Uh, they took over the spirit of the Miami Dolphins Dolphins <laughs> going all in. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they don't have any first round picks next year. They traded for Bradley Chubb already brought in Tyreek gave up a, a bunch of capital for Tyreek Hill. They've already paid Bradley Chubb. Mm-hmm. So I don't think and I hear people talking about the Dolphins. Well, they can win a Super Bowl. I don't see it. How about you? You think the Dolphins are on that I, level? I don't know. I mean, I just think Buffalo and Kansas City are going to be so tough to get past in the AFC. And I just it, like that Buffalo game on Green Bay against Green Bay on Sunday, it's funny because that's not their that wasn't their A game. But to me, like that's what was so impressive about it. It's like that's what it looks like when they're screwing around and messing like, like when the, the foot's off the pedal in the second half. Like they still right. beat Green Bay by 10 when like Josh Allen's throwing bad picks and it looks like they're disinterested. Like, I just feel like Kansas City and Buffalo and Kansas City obviously just as impressive the week before in San Francisco. Like it just looks like the margin for error those two teams are playing with is massive. So I think it's going to be tough for anybody in the AFC to compete with those two teams to go through those two teams in January. I, I will say this though: what I like about what Miami's doing, I like your comparison to the Rams there, 
in that if you look at where they've invested, it's not just the aggression. Look at how the, where they've invested. It's at premium positions, right? They've invested in the left tackle in Teron Armstead. They invested in a pass rusher now in Bradley Chubb. They invested in a corner in Xavier Howard. They invested in receivers in Waddle and Hill. And of course, they've invested in the quarterback and taking Tua Tungavaloa fifth overall. So if you look at it, it's like now they've got their core and like they know what they're building around for the next five years. And yeah, it's left them a little short on draft picks next year and everything else. And that's part of the deal. But now they don't need to go hunting for like the kingmaker pass rusher or the number one corner or the number. They've got all of that. So now what are they going to be doing in the draft and free agency next year? Looking for guards, looking for defensive tackles, looking for off-ball linebacker, right? Like, that's what they're going to be looking for. They've got the mm. premium positions taken care of now. So I don't think they're quite to Kansas City or Buffalo's level yet, but I think they're in a position where they've got a core they can compete with for the next five years. Um, they know what they've got to take care of outside of that, and it's not going to be as expensive as what they just did. And this is going to give them the clearest view of who their quarterback is, too. They've got a big decision to make coming down the line in Tua Tungavaloa and whether or not to give him the sort of contract that Josh Allen got in Buffalo, that Patrick Mahomes got in Kansas City. There's no better way to get a clear view of who your quarterback is than to build around him this way. Yeah, it's, it's going to sound like I'm hating uh, on Tungavaloa. Even when I watch that B-roll, man. You know, B-roll is supposed to... That's supposed to be your highlights. <laughs> Even when I watch his highlights... I don't love his throws. I just don't. I, I don't love it. So you want Tom? And, do you want you, you want Tom and my? You want Tom going a little south next year? Oh, going down. No, I-75? no, no. <laughs> no, I don't want. It, 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 not necessarily Tom, but we're gonna talk about him next. Then we're gonna get out of here. Um, but it's like coming back. The receivers are coming back to the ball. I see Tyreek waiting for it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like waiting for the baton on the relay when your guy's like, come on. Let's get here. Let's get here. Let's get here. Let, 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 watch this. Watch this. I, watch I, I think, like, look, at this look at this. Right. Right. Okay. You're right. Wait you're right. It. Okay. Wait like, look at the score there. Like, I do think yeah. playing from behind. Like, like we're seeing some things from him on third and long and playing from behind that we haven't seen before at an NFL. This one too. Level. Watch this throw too. Here it is. Watch. All right, this. Here we go. All right. Oh I mean, yeah. Not great. Not great. So that that that's the now type is, of play where Tyreek was like 15 yards. Behind. That one's a nice one. That one's right yeah. That's a there. nice one. That's a nice ball. Yeah, good ball. I do think like you get glimpses though. Like one thing I think watching two of the last few weeks, you're sort of noticing, like you're starting to see the fast, instinctive play that you saw at Alabama. And to me, like two of his best was like you saw a guy who was like the ultimate point guard when he was at Bama. It was like boom, boom. I see it balls out. And it's in the playmaker's hands and he's throwing there to Judy and to Waddle and to Ruggs and to all those guys, Devontae Smith. And those guys are making plays for him. And that's what Miami needs him to be. And I think we're seeing signs that he can be that guy at the NFL level, which to me is like good team building by Chris Greer, their general manager and like recognizing what your quarterback is and then trying to build around him accordingly. All right. Last one, Bert, uh, Tom Brady. They got they got the uh, the Rams this week, and I feel like this is the way I look at it. If the Bucks lose this game, they can survive it because they play in the NFC South. If the Rams lose this game, it's not just the division that they play in. Not I mean, not great. Seattle leading the division yeah. by a couple of games over the Rams, but I don't think the Rams are that good. Like the Rams have yeah. some major. They've got major problems. So w- would you look at this and say the Rams are more desperate? 
than the Buccaneers in this game? Um, yes, I, I think that's probably right. I, I think the problem with the Bucs, like, you wonder how much better the Bucs are going to get. And I just, this isn't even just Tom. Like, it feels like they look old. They look slow, you know? And I think that there's some <laughs> yeah, things they do. that... I mean, just overall, like, I don't know that Mike Evans looks quite the same, to be honest. Godwin's obviously coming back from the injury. Like, Donovan Smith at left tackle, Leonard Fournette. Like, you look, and it's just, like, looks like age has caught up to him. Levante David. It's like, like it looks like a bunch of guys got old all at once. And that's what I worry Ooh. about with the Bucks, With the Rams, that left tackle spot, man, like, I just... I think losing Andrew Whitworth was so huge for them. And they've been able to make it make do with less those line positions forever, but they always had left tackle since Sean McVay has been there. They had the left tackle spot taken care of. And I think like on an offensive line, like look at the teams that have trouble at left tackle, right? Like the Colts, look how much like the Colts invested in that offensive line and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith. And it doesn't matter because they don't have the left tackle, right? You know what I mean? Like the rest crumbles yeah. because, and Matt Ryan gets the crap kicked out of him because they don't have a left tackle. Right. And I just think like one of the issues with the Rams right now is that left tackle spot. If you don't have that taken care of, I think you're like pushing a boulder uphill on your offensive line. Like Miami, all of a sudden they're okay. Cause they went and signed Teron Armstead. You know what I mean? The offensive line was an issue for him the last three or four years. They signed Teron Armstead from new Orleans. All of a sudden it's not a problem anymore, you know? So I, there's not somebody. I don't think there's somebody on on the Rams roster. And God bless Joe Noteboom. I think he's an, he was a good player when he was playing guard for them. I just like that offensive line issue. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get past it. And I think from there, you know, you kind of look: are they good enough defensively? Yeah, I, I just I'm not I I'm not I'm with you. Like I just don't think they have the same mix that they had before. And I I think now. I mean, Michael, wouldn't you say? third best team in that division like it's pretty clear right which is crazy Ooh. to think wow wow but <laughs> it's pretty good it's sort of where they I'm are saying a lot yeah, yeah. Uh, i'll say and and bert always appreciate the time but clearly i can't believe you don't understand why mike evans doesn't look the same because they're writing down here we are here's my little notepad for writing down your number for golf with the officials, we're talking about <laughs> golf. I'm just, his I'm writing this A&M, down. Right? This is a, this is a, a, don't worry about this. And it's not an autograph. This is just my trusty little. I, I'll tell you what, I uh, wish I could write this my, is my peacock notepad. I, I wish I could write my number down as fast as Mike Evans wrote down his number. You see how fast he did that? Yeah. It was pretty quick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, golf. We're talking about yeah. golf. Anyway, Bert, always appreciate you, man. Thanks for hanging out. And, uh, you know, you know how we end this. Go Buckeyes, baby. Go, Go Buckeyes. Bucks. I Go can't Bucks. wait. I yep. can't wait until they come to Columbus. Come to the horseshoe. The horseshoe Three right weeks. behind you. Come to the horseshoe. They, they've come gotten awfully down. chesty too, Michael. They've gotten awfully chesty. Yep. I think they're a little they're a little oh, they themselves. Don't don't lose any games before then. Don't lose any games. I want them coming in. I want them nice and fat and happy and talking trash and very confident. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll take all of their, we'll take all of their success because they're playing for us right now. Michigan, yep. you're playing for us. I want mm-hmm. you to, you know, keep building up your record, stay in the top five, because then we'll just take all of these. <laughs> we'll take all of these with us. <laughs> we appreciate you. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Damn it, we're obnoxious! Oh, it's my favorite time of the week. And you know what? I'm in a slump. I'll just tell you guys that right now. Uh, I'm 20 and 15. I feel like uh, after 35, I should be something like 23 and 12. Had a tough loss last week. Can I just, can I make an excuse off the top before I tell you uh, how you might invest your money? Let me, let me give you an excuse. All right. The Buffalo Bills, Bert just alluded to this. The Buffalo Bills just completely messed around with the game. They were blowing out the Packers. Then they just got disinterested. Shame on me for believing in Buffalo. They got disinterested. They let the Packers kind of sort of get back into the game. They were favored by 11. They won by 10. Favored by 11. Won by 10. And I lost. Because of the Buffalo Bills. So I should at least be 21 and 14. Anyway, that's the pass. Let's go forward. I'm excited for you. I'm feeling this week. Mm, I'm feeling a four and one. Maybe a risky five and oh. All right, we got Jets versus Bills. And since the Bills disappointed me last week, they're going on the road. They're at the New York Jets. I know a lot of you don't want to mess around with the Jets this week. You saw Zach Wilson last week. Uh, very careless with the football. Threw three interceptions against the Patriots. Two of them were just like, he just kind of flung it aside. Like he was, uh, uh, like he was littering or something. I, I just, threw, just threw the cup away and somebody came up with it. Just very sloppy. But anyway, the Jets are a good football team. Most people don't, aren't used to hearing people say that. The Jets are a good team. They're getting 11 and a half points. Give me the J-E-T-S Jets. Jets. In that one. All right, Commanders versus the Vikings. Shame on me. I hear you, St. Paul. I hear you, Minneapolis. You're saying I'm not giving you the respect. I hear you, Bloomington. I hear you, Eau Claire. Is that in Wisconsin or Minnesota? I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, it's in Wisconsin. It's close by. Neighboring state. Anyway, I hear y'all talking about me. You know, I don't give you the respect that you deserve. Still not ready yet. Not ready yet. I think Kirk Cousins is going to be distracted, taking on his old franchise. The Commanders are suddenly hot. Go with the Commanders. Go with the Commanders versus the Vikings in this one. Rams, Buccaneers, as I just mentioned to Burt Breer, the Rams are the more desperate team, and I don't think the Bucs are all that good. I've been saying that all year. The Bucs aren't really that good uh, the Rams haven't lost to the Tom Brady Buccaneers, and that's when they were—that's when they were good. The Rams didn't lose to them. Both teams have gone down a bit, but I think the Rams know how to deal with Tom Brady. I'm going with the Rams here against the Bucks, Seahawks, Cardinals. My first place NFC West leading, Geno Smith residing, 
John Schneider, Executive of the Year-ing, Pete Carroll, cheerleading, all that Seattle Seahawks, go Hawks, a quarterback once said. All right, I'm going with the Seahawks. It's Geno Smith. I love that Geno Smith quote. Critics wrote me off. I ain't right back though. Seahawks. Keeping that grip on first place. And the last one, this is outrageous. Okay. This is crazy. The Titans getting 12 and a half points. You know, the Titans have a really good record against the Chiefs. They are really good against the Chiefs. Historic, not just, it wasn't just a win last year. The Titans have matched up with the Chiefs as well as anybody in the AFC. Dare I say the NFL, 12 and a half. That's just too much to resist. I'm going with the Titans in this one. And uh, family, thank me now. Thank me la- later. I'm feeling four and one on that. There's a loss in there that I don't deserve. It's going to come somewhere. Uh, I- I'm going to get screwed. But I've given you good advice. My bets, your money. Let's check in next week and see how I did. All right, as I mentioned off the top, what a week it's been. Uh, The week uh, week in which uh, Kyrie Irving has dominated the headlines, apologizes for posting a video with false anti-Semitic statements uh, after the Nets suspended him. The Nets suspended him for five games and included a really strong quote, David Gardner. Uh, the Nets say that Kyrie Irving at this time is not fit, is not fit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. So, wow. <laughs> that, that, you know, that is... That is probably that's probably one of the strongest statements a, a team can say about one of its one of its players or one of its employees, for that matter. So as you as you kind of reflect on the week that was, David, and you think about uh, Kyrie's situation, you know what stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing that's simultaneously frustrating and disappointing is that the statement that he finally released, the apology that he finally released on Instagram last night, if he had started with that, we could have avoided a lot of this mess. He could have avoided a lot of heartache for himself. But it's disappointing for me as a fan of Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, to know that for Kyrie Irving, the person, to apologize for promoting an anti-Semitic video, it took not only his teammates and his coach telling him, but also the commissioner of the NBA and the president of the Anti-Defamation League, who, by all accounts, he didn't even meet with at first. So I think it's just really a disappointing situation. And it makes you wonder, are there people around Kyrie Irving who can talk to him, who can tell him when he's in trouble with the things that he's saying? It doesn't seem like there's someone in his life that can say to him, Kyrie, you've really, you've really messed up here and you really need to do something about it. It takes so much pressure for him to just do the very basic minimum of apologizing. And I think that's sad. Yeah, well, I think I think there probably are people around him who can tell him that. But I, I think the what what I've seen from Kyrie Irving, I, I'm serious. Like what I've seen from him, David, is, and, and unfortunately, everybody knows somebody like this. You may not be close to somebody like this, but 
If they come up with it on their own, they're fine. If you tell them, if you even mildly kind of push them in a certain direction, they resist it. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it. What, just because you told me to do it? Like, there's something that really, there, there's something activated in him. I'm going to psychoanalyze him for a second. There's something that's activated that when he's told that he's got to do something, particularly from what he sees as a corporate power or a, a, maybe a corporate pawn or whatever it is, he, he takes great exception to that. And so I saw one of your tweets and it made me laugh out loud. Uh, if we can laugh at the situation, you said, hey, if the Brooklyn Nets are waiting for Kyrie Irving to apologize, we may not see him the rest of the year. And I know maybe that's tongue planted in cheek, firmly in cheek. There's some truth to that, David. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, what I was saying is that are there people that are around him that he's going to actually listen to? That's a great point that you're making. You know, there are definitely people around him. He has a PR team. He has, you know, trusted loved ones who are around him who undoubtedly over the past week have been saying, hey, you really need to reconsider the way that you're handling this situation. And he just may not be listening to them. I think it's definitely true. I think we all know the kind of person who Kyrie has at least been acting like in the last week, the kind of contrarian person who always wants to, you know, be the smartest person in the room, who always wants to say, hey, if everybody's thinking about things one way, I'm going to think about it in a different way. And that alone makes me an intellectual. But really, that's not what would make <laughs> someone an intellectual. You should question <laughs> right. the mainstream narratives, right? right? But you should do it with evidence-based approaches. I mean, the video that he promoted had Adolf Hitler as the opening quote, and Adolf Hitler's name was spelled wrong. You don't have to be an intellectual to know that this is not something you should be sharing. Yeah, and, and I think uh, th there should be more conversation about that, about the video itself, the video in the book. I think we're talking about Kyrie and how he's promoting these, uh, these, these dishonest and these, these false uh, tropes uh, and, and just like well-worn, just awful uh, cliches, really, uh, just hateful statements. But it goes back to the source. I mean, the source, like how, how well-researched is that product? And like where, what, where are the citations there? Where, where are you coming up with this kind of stuff? And unfortunately, David, there's a lot of stuff out there that people, some people are just looking for answers to complex things in society. They're looking for, uh, they're looking for simple answers to complex realities. And if they can find it somewhere, even if it's not founded, even if it's not supported, people are drawn to it because it gives them answers to a complex world. It's really, it's, it's frightening. And I heard Rich Eisen uh, say this on his show. He said, it's frightening and scary. And, and I agree with him. Yeah, and I think to your point earlier, too, there's a psychological phenomenon called the backfire effect, which is when people come and tell you that you're wrong about something, you actually have a tendency to double down on being right about yeah. this thing, even if it's obviously true that you're wrong, especially when it has something to do with your identity. And I think what's been difficult for Kyrie over these past, you know, let's call it a year with the anti-vaccination uh, campaign that he was on and now with this, is that he certainly seems to be a person who's trying to find an identity for himself and is trying 
trying to understand himself in a new way. And he's going down some dark rabbit holes to get there. And that's the thing that I'd be worried about if I were a real close friend of his, is that he's trying to find something about himself and he's looking in some really deep, dark places that uh, I think hopefully, again, someone in his life is able to tell him, hey man, this is this is not the place where you need to go look at. Now, I know a, a lot of people uh, talk about the NBA and say how it's a, a glamorous lifestyle. I bet you there are a lot of people would say, oh, I'd love to work for an NBA team and, you know, get to watch basketball, you get great seats, you get to travel the country, you see great players, whether it's Kevin Durant or Giannis, uh, LeBron, John Morant, all these great players. But I'll tell you one of the worst NBA jobs, and I'm sure it's a, a decently paying job, but the worst job right now in the NBA is the PR director of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, David, I- I'm sure that there are there's a PR person or PR persons who went to Kyrie and said, okay, uh, this is how you should handle it. <laughs> and then went to Kevin Durant and said, okay, they're going to ask you about Kyrie's suspension. This is how you should handle it. And both guys, whoa, whiffed. They whiffed. I mean, Kevin Durant, uh, you know, it, Kyrie is getting all the headlines. But how about Durant? Durant had to clarify a statement he made at shoot around. You know what the statement he made at shoot around is? He's mad at everybody. Everybody handled it wrong. No, Kevin. No, they didn't. No, everybody didn't handle it wrong. Your buddy did. Yep. Kyrie handled it wrong. Now you're mad at the Brooklyn Nets? You're mad at the NBA? Who, who are, you, are you mad at the ADL? Who are you mad at? Be mad at Kyrie. So I, I, I just feel for the PR people there because nobody listens to them. <laughs> you agree with me? Yeah, I think, oh, 100%. You know, and the thing is, it, it's different as you make that jump from college to the NBA, or you make that jump from college to the NFL, because actually at the collegiate level, the, they're called sports information directors. Those guys actually do have some sway over the way that the players you know, behave. And that's because the players are on scholarship and there's a power imbalance. I don't agree. I don't agree that that's the way it should be in college sports. Those players are producing huge revenue for their schools, but nonetheless, it is the way. And they do have to listen to those SIDs. Now you get into a situation where the next PR guy, let's say he makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. Is he going to tell Kevin Durant, who's worth $300 million, what he should say? And is Kevin Durant going to listen to that guy? If I'm Kevin Durant, I wouldn't listen to him. And I think Kevin Durant is sort of a thoughtful guy in general. Super disappointing to see him say something like that because certainly many people, his own PR people and the Nets PR people came up to him and they said, hey, you should say, I condemn the video. I condemn any form of anti-Semitism. It's not that hard to say. And just say, also, I feel for my friend Kyrie. I'm going to keep working on him. going to keep talking to him. I hope he's back with the team because I love playing basketball with him. That's a 10-second quote that you can give, and you are out of hot water immediately. Instead, you know, you try to do the whole, oh, everybody's to blame here thing. No, as you were saying, not everybody is to blame. Kyrie Irving is to blame in this situation. It's okay to say that. He knows, at least by now. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to ask you a question here, and, and this we don't, all right, this is a question that I, I'll start asking you on the show. It's so much bigger than the show. We need a lot more time to get to it, but uh, let's let's see if we can just start this conversation. All right, so uh, I won't tell you the year. Okay, I'll tell you the year. I don't mind. Uh, the, the year I decided that I, I knew I wanted to be a journalist was probably 1988. 
Okay. Uh, okay. I will date myself. I don't mind. I was 18 years old. So I knew I, I needed to declare a major in 1988. I decided I wanted to be a journalist. And you know what, David? I never thought about uh, money. Never thought of it. It didn't cross my mind. I just knew I wanted to do it. I loved to write. I loved to hear people's stories. And I never considered uh, being a lawyer or finance or any of the you know big money professions. I just thought, okay, this is what I want to do. And I, and I say all that because a lot of people like us in the media are, we, we, this is what we do. We, we go up to people. We talk to rich people in a lot of cases. And, 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 and I don't think it really crosses our mind that they may be looking down on us <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, they're rich and by and large, some of the media are, but by and large, we're not. Uh, we're doing this profession that they may not respect. Do you think that's part of the issue here with Kyrie that he looks out at people, he looks at, at the microphones, he looks at people who are doing this job and it just doesn't, he's not even arguing, he's not even defending his point, I feel like. Sometimes he's arguing with the media. It's almost like, how dare you question me, you, you people, how dare you people question me when I'm Kyrie Irving and you're making money off of me. It, it's, it's like a weird dynamic. Do you, you see where I'm going with this? It's just like, I wonder if, if part of the problem is they just don't have respect for the paths, uh, the paths that we've chosen. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a two-way street. You know, I think that the classic example that always comes up is when you're asking a coach about X's and O's in the game, and they say, did you ever play the game? And you say, well, no, I didn't have to play the game. But, like, also, let's be honest, right. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's happening in a basketball game. If you study and if you pay attention, you can come to an understanding. I'm not going to say that I have an understanding at the same level as a Steve Nash or Kyrie Irving about the game of basketball. But you can start to understand it. But that's one of the ways that historically they have kind of condescended to the media. I do think that the power imbalance in terms of money is there. I do think that there's a weird relationship in terms of Kyrie understanding that these people are in part making money off of his, in this case, a downfall of a week. Like there is a weird financial tension there too. And then I also think that the settings in which we talk to players tend not to be the kind of ones that are conducive to honesty and openness. I think that we're in big scrums and big press conferences and it doesn't make sense to talk to people about sensitive hey. things in that situation. David, great stuff. I, yeah. I, I set you up. I asked you for a, a, a long answer, and I can give you time. Yeah, sorry. But we always appreciate yeah, sorry you. Sorry about that. No, yeah. no, that's all right. Happy to be here anytime. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you, man. Okay, sounds great. Talk to you soon. Yep, see you guys. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.